Good morning, Canopy. Uh, as we are preparing to dive into fall together in, in practical ways that Josh is sharing in ways that I know probably lots of people have lots of opinions about, I want to acknowledge what I know all of us are feeling. This is one of the most challenging, disorienting, at times discouraging times we've ever faced, even guys with gray hair like me. But God this morning has placed a psalm on my heart to share with you. Uh, that's probably not shocking because most of you know that as both a worship leader and uh, even more as just a worshiper, I'm always gravitating back to the psalms. They speak to my heart in every season, but particularly in this season when so much seems up for grabs and out of alignment with what seems like it should be right. And theologian Walter Brueggemann shares this. He says, Psalms offer speech when life has gone beyond our frail efforts to control. Does that ring true for you? I know it does for me. I need language for what my heart can't find the words for, and Psalms offer that. And these words and prayers and convictions of those who've gone before us help us find our way forward. And I love that the Psalms are part of our weekly reading plans. Every week, many times, I, I soak in that weekly Psalm. But this Psalm in particular, I think, is a gift for this season. And so we're gonna turn to Psalm 95. Psalm 95. And Psalm 95 is in this series of a few Psalms that remind us of a reality that's particularly important to reclaim, to lay hold of in this cultural moment we're in. And it's this, God, is on the throne. God is on the throne. And not just a throne, the throne. He is sovereign over all. And even now in our country, as there is a huge battle that is being passionately and divisively waged for a position of huge power in our country, Psalm 95 reminds us that the authority of whoever sits in the Oval Office in the end does not even hold the tiniest candle to the blazing bonfire of authority of the one who sits on the throne of heaven and earth. Psalm 95 is, is really a wake-up call. In the midst of whatever has our hearts heavy, has our heads spinning, to the fact that our God reigns. Not only in it all, but over it all. So. Let's read the beginning of Psalm 95. The words will be on your screen. Psalm 95, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So worship, which we talked about before, means to give worth to someone or to something, to, to make much of someone or something. And that's what's happening here, obviously, in Psalm 95. The psalmist is saying, look all around you. God is great, and the evidence of that is everywhere. Uh, there's this legendary British architect named Christopher Wren 
who designed many of the famous buildings that are scattered all over London. I've seen them every time I go there. I see Christopher Wren designed buildings. And there's a plaque in St. Paul's Cathedral, one of those epic structures, that says, if you seek his monument, speaking of Christopher Wren, if you seek his monument, look all around you. I love that plaque because it says, don't look for a statue, look across this city to get a glimpse at the greatness of Christopher Wren. How much more is that true of the one who handcrafted all of creation from the peaks of the mountain to the depths of the sea? That is what Psalm 95 is reminding us of. You know, Friday I had a chance to make much of and affirm the, the goodness and in ways greatness of my friend, my partner, your pastor, Josh, Josh Harrison. It was his birthday Friday. In fact, right now you can feel free to fill the chat windows with happy birthday Josh's. Um, and I'm not sure which birthday it is. Josh is kind of agelessly cool, wouldn't you agree? But any birthday is a time to give honor, to, to give worth to someone for, for who they are, not just what they've done, who they are. Now, I honor Josh by letting him beat me at golf. Wasn't that kind? Um, I know his family honored him in specific ways. He told me they were going to watch a movie, and I think he got to choose the movie they're going to watch, which is nice. I know they were planning on ordering his favorite food, this place called Din Tai Fun uh, in South Coast Plaza, which apparently has spicy pork and shrimp dumplings to die for. And I know one of his really special gifts came from Marta, his daughter, which was a video she compiled of, of people in Josh's life that were affirming him very specifically for who he is. I was grateful to be asked to be one of those. And I do know that Josh is an incredible pastor and father, husband and friend. It's easy to celebrate him and birthdays are the right time, one of the times to do that. In fact, in our house, Josh would get the birthday plate. We have this special plate that comes out for birthdays and it's a reminder from breakfast to dinner, from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, that this is the day to make much of, to honor, to celebrate this person. And it's also a reminder that they are the ones that get to choose how they are celebrated. That makes sense. It would have been really strange for me to pop into the Harrison house last night or Friday night and, and demand food from my favorite restaurant, Gulfstream, or demand that we hit play on the extended version of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. That would be a long night, but that's my favorite collection of movies. Or to ask, where are my presents waiting? Where's my video compilation? That would make sense because it's not my day. I don't have the birthday plate. The celebration is for the one whose day it is to honor. And Psalm 95 suggests that not a day, but every day, every moment, all creation bears witness to the fact that God is deserving of the plate, the seat, the words, the actions of honor. Amen? And it actually suggests that, that there are gifts we're supposed to bring that we are to come, to show up ready with expectancy, come with joy, that we're come to bring thanksgiving, things we are grateful for, that we're to come with songs. But as we've talked about before, songs aren't the gift. Songs wrap the gift. They wrap the gifts of joy, expectancy, gratitude. And the good news for some of you is that when it says make a joyful noise, it doesn't say anything about being on pitch. <laughs> you know, our 
our songs have everything everything to do with our hearts being in tune, not our voices. Again, that's for some of you maybe good news this morning. But the point is this, if we hold God's worth in view, that we can't hold back our worship. We can't let our worship be muted. Our, our piano, in fact, every piano has a special pedal. Some of you know that when you hold it down and, and slide it across, it locks the piano into a muted position. And it, it, it sort of muffles the strings. And the point of that is to, to keep it quiet if, if needed. And they're actually sort of pads that come over the strings that hold or restrain the sound of the strings. But God is not interested in muted worship. This is a season of muted worship. Man is offering across the world, in many cases, muted, held back, restrained worship. But God, the great king above all gods, deserves worship off mute, worship unhindered. But Psalm 95 offers another way to worship God beyond joy, beyond thanksgiving, beyond the songs we sing that is as the celebrated guest, as the, as the one who's to be honored, a way he makes it clear he wants to be worshipped. Let's keep reading. In verse 6, it says, Come, not just sing, not just bring joy and thanksgiving, but come, let us bow down in worship. Bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. So here we discover that God is not only the, the maker of mountains and seas, he is the maker of us. He thought us up. And he is the handcrafter of our lives, our destinies. And that is why we are called to bow down in submission as a servant to the king, as the, the creation to the creator and continued acknowledgement that he is God and we are not. He is the one on the throne. We are not on the throne. And the picture, which would make a lot more sense back in that context and time, is of sheep and a shepherd, that, that he is our shepherd. And that says a lot about God because it means that we need to trust his lead. You know, sheep are good I think, I don't know, I don't know any sheep, but they're cute. I've seen pictures of them. But I'll tell you this, I've come to understand that they are helpless creatures. They are utterly unable to lead themselves. There was an instance in Istanbul, Turkey, many years ago, 2005, where one sheep mistakenly walked off this high cliff as the shepherd had left these sheep unattended. And that's a, that's a sad story, that the sheep fell to its death. What's even more sad, what's really tragic, is that 1,500 other sheep followed that sheep off the cliff. They just kept going and going, one by one, plunging to their deaths in complete cluelessness because they were following each other, not the shepherd. And the problem is that the shepherd had checked out. <laughs> Canopy, listen this morning to the truth that the shepherd is not checked out. Our shepherd never checks out. And even now when it feels like the world is unraveling and everyone has lots of opinions, there's no lack of opinions on which way to go, our best and only option as the sheep is to bow down, submit to, and follow the shepherd. Israel failed this test over and over again. We've seen this. And this psalm reminds them of that reality. 
In fact, it lands in sort of a minor note. It says, today, if you would only hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry at that generation. I said, these are people whose hearts go astray, and they've not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now, what's going on here? We don't have time to dive deep into this landing of the psalm, but the names Meribah and Massah are painful reminders of one of the many moments of Israel being sheep that chose to walk off the cliff, sheep that chose to go their own way when they refused to trust the lead of the shepherd. This references back to Exodus 17, actually several accounts, but that's the first one. Exodus 17 is one of those moments where Israel is in the wilderness, being led by the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire, living in tents, which as most of you know, that's one of the, the metaphors we drew from to name our church canopy. We are tent people led by the presence of God through whatever wilderness we're in. And they are discouraged and they are disoriented and they're having a really hard time following Moses, God's appointed leader. In this instance, they're thirsty and they're getting very dramatic about it. You know, they're saying things like, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? We are so thirsty. And I'm sure they were, but this is one of many instances when they begin to look back on the comfort of their chains in Egypt rather than face the challenge of trusting God for provision, for his direction, for his destiny for them. And though God provides water miraculously in that moment, he isn't happy about it. He has Moses mark that spot with two names, not rocks, which would normally make altars, but names Masa and Meribah, which mean testing and grumbling or contending. They stand for generations to come. And that's what the Psalm is looking back on as a monument to their inability to trust God to shepherd them, to worship him in ways he wanted, in ways he deserved. In fact, as it's indicated in the psalm, there's a whole generation, an entire generation that misses the blessing of the inheritance of the promised land. They're not allowed in, they have to die off because they failed their test. And this promised land was to be what they longed for, the place of rest, of provision, of adventure, of challenge, but God's presence with his people, it was to be their identity, their security, but they couldn't trust God enough to lead them there, to that future. And as we recount this moment from thousands of years ago, it reminds me a lot of the moment we are facing, we are living right now. As we've said for months, we are in the wilderness. This series has been called Freedom in the Wilderness. And we are not only trying to survive, although that's what it feels like sometimes, we are trying to discover what does it look like to live as increasingly free people in an increasingly scared, disoriented, paralyzed, divided world. How do we learn to be led to freedom by the great king and the good shepherd 
who is our God, not just the God, He is our God. And years from now, we are going to look back on this season. This season, like the time we heard about in Exodus, will carry names. It will have its own names. And our kids and their kids will ask us, what happened during that crazy time we read about? And why did it happen? But the most important question they may not know to ask won't just be what or why, but how. This is the question that's on the heart of God. How did we live? How did we respond? How did we trust? How did we grow? How did we come together as the people of God, as the world was falling apart? How did we worship? What did our worship look like in this time? That is what will matter most in the scheme of eternity. That is what God is most concerned with right now. And there is a name or names for this season that we will carry over our lives and even over our community. When whoever canopy is, generations from now, look back on what happened in this moment. And canopy, I know that as fall approaches, there are so many more questions than answers, so much more chaos than clarity. But in view of his faithfulness, as Romans says, in view of his mercy in the past and in view of his presence with us now, leading us into the future, let's build an altar and let's carry a name that's worthy of the king. Not testing, but trusting. Not grumbling, but praising. Not hard-hearted, but open-handed. Not looking back, but, but leaning forward. Not bound by fear, but freed by faith to the adventure of daily bread, living in tents, following the cloud, following the fire, and not divided, growing apart from each other, but united. Growing not only on dependence in God, but interdependence on each other. Preferring one another, as Philippians says. We won't live this moment again, which for most of us comes with a huge amen. But as we're living it now, let's not miss it. Even now, let's prepare the way with worship that looks like not just a great song, which Drew is going to lead us in now, but is wrapped around worship that is truly surrender and trust and expectation that we have a great king and a good shepherd that knows how to lead us forward. So can we pray into that right now? And maybe we could open our hands, which is a way of opening our hearts. And the people in this psalm are, are described as being hard-hearted and anyone in this season would start having calluses. I know I do. But even now, can we just ask that God would soften our hearts and open us once again to a fresh expectancy, the, 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 even the hope of joy, if not the reality of joy, that releases trust in Him to lead us forward. In the face of injustices that just are so heartrending in the, t in the face of uncertainties of all sorts of kinds of, of finance, of 
schools opening, of marriages on, in some cases, just lifelines right now. Lord, you see it all and you are in it all. We declare you God over it all. And here, once again, we offer you the worship of our surrender and trust.